everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Have on with me, as always, co-host, Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, we made it through the ATP year-end finals. I think practically the year's pretty much over. I know we have Davis Cup going on right now, but the, the main gist, main part of the tour is complete. We are going to do our year-end segment um, in a few weeks from now. But um, before we get to that, Let's talk about uh, what happened the previous week, because it was pretty interesting, the events that occurred the last, I guess, what, seven days now. Yeah, I think that was one of the more memorable, riveting at times, ATP finals, just with the number of great matches across the week, day after day, matches going down to the wire, and and I I enjoyed it immensely. Let's start um, with Rafa because we were all interested to see what his performance was going to be like this week. And I still think personally, it was very good for him. I know he didn't fare well. He went, you know, he lost his first two matches. That was for him. What four, uh, four matches in a row that he had lost going back to two previous tournaments. Um, I still think it was good for him to play because I remember he said, I need to play sets and not just sets against anybody, I need to play sets against the top players in the world. And if you think about it, Steve, he hasn't played a lot of sets since what? The end of uh, the beginning of July, which was the tail end of Wimbledon. He only played what once in Cincinnati. He did have four matches in the U.S. Open, which he wasn't sharp. And then what? He only really had one match leading up to this, a loss to uh, Tommy Paul. Yeah, that hurt him. He could have used, it would have helped him coming into this tournament to get through a few more matches in that Paris event, but Tommy Paul was not going to have it. Tommy Paul outplayed him. No, I agree with your outlook on this. And I, it makes me admire Rafa no end because it'd be very easy for him to say, you know, I don't need this. I don't like those fast indoor courts, fastest court of the year. I don't need it. I'm at a disadvantage against these guys. I'm not going there. I don't need it. But his attitude was, no, I'm going to do my best. He knew there was, I think in the back of his mind, he knew there was a pretty good chance he might lose a couple of matches. He might even lose all three. That's, I think that's how he felt going. So sure enough, he starts off with Taylor Fritz, got it into a tiebreaker, but lost six and one. The second set unraveled a bit. He wasn't happy about the scoreline in the second, but played a pretty good first, served well in the first. And then he, but he was served off the court. And then the same thing basically happened against FAA, against Felix. And Felix knocked him off in straight. And in the two matches combined, David, he never broke serve. Nope. So it was, that was frustrating for him. And obviously here's a guy that has one of the best return serve stats in the sport. And yet on this quick at court, this was a server's court. And so it really hurt Rafa. And yet after all that, after those two drubbings, he goes out there against Rude, and it, it's meaningless in the sense that he can't make it to the semis at this point. He knows he's out. He's lost his two round robin matches in straight, can't be in the semis. But he went out and beat Rude five and five. And the things he was saying afterwards were so typical of Rafa. It's my last match of the year. I'm very happy. I wanted to win this match. And he did. He was aware of that losing streak that you just mentioned. And his attitude was look, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to carry, I'm, I'm proud of this. And he should have been. Because, you know, as it turned out, Root is in the finals. And I think that probably made Rafa feel even better that he'd done it. So, yeah, he ends up getting three matches. Unfortunately for him, two are losses. But the last one is a triumph. So he does take something away from this heading into 2023. 
I, I would agree, Steve. And even the day before he played Rude in that dead rubber, he was out on the practice court practicing really hard. He looked at this. Yeah, I totally agree with you that in the back of his mind, he he may, you know, he he thought he may have had a few L's in this week, but it was more of just getting back to playing, practicing hard, and competing against the best players in the world. Um, yeah, that, he has that- had some moments, David. Sorry to interrupt you. He had some moments, like the, the first point of the tiebreaker against Fritz. You could see his toss was way too low. You could see it if they'd frozen it at that moment. You said, Rafa, don't hit it. Catch that toss. Don't do it. He double faults into the net. And that really got uh, perturbed him a bit. And that was one of the keys to losing the tiebreaker and losing the match. And then he had a 40 love game in the middle of the first set against Felix. Mm-hmm. down four three and and he had just had a chance to break and now it, it looks like he's got a hole for four all in 40 love he serves two doubles in a row and eventually mm-hmm. gets broken so those were difficult moments for him but rafa had the right attitude all along i'm going to play my way through this and obviously he played far better in the rude magic because he had a chance to sort of get into the rallies a bit he wasn't getting uh, overwhelmed by that uh, brutal power that he had been by felix and by uh, taylor so it was a it was a nice ending to the week for him, and Rafa looked pretty pretty delighted with with that victory. Let's hope his body holds up now, and he can enter twenty twenty three fresh. And uh, let's see what happens in Australia. And we know we, we with the news now, we know Novak's going to be there, so we'll be full tilt full tilt in Australia. Another player I want to mention: talk about tough luck. And Steve, you could talk about some of the matches. Daniil Medvedev, he went zero and three. And I don't know if this has ever happened. You know this stuff way more than me. He lost all three of his matches, seven, six in the third. Like uh, that may just want to make you quit the sport after that. You know, I mean, that's just crazy. No, you're right. But oddly, because you know what a kind of a complicated personality Daniel is. And there are times when he doesn't always, at times when he doesn't handle situations that well in the court and he's all over the officials and, He's a complicated guy in his way, but I thought in terms of the way he looked at these losses, yeah, he was upset. But I think he knew he actually played pretty well in all three. It started against his countryman, Rublev, who'd only beaten him once the last time they met in Cincinnati. And, and he saved seven set points in the first set. Rublev had, you know, Rublev had him a 5-2 in the set, and he served for the set, and it was crazy. He had a couple of set points before the tiebreak and then five more, and he couldn't do it. And Rublev was infuriated after that set, but he came back and won the second. But Daniel took him right down to the wire in the third. And once again, Medvedev, he's down 6-3 in the third set tiebreak, and he saved four match points there in that tiebreak and finally lost it 9-7. And his attitude was good after that. He felt like he played well, and he, he seemed co- confident that he was going to win his next two. Then he plays Sitsipas. That, that was, was a, a ridiculous, cra- you can't make that story, you can't make that match up. That, that was crazy. No, that was insane. <laughs> and Stefanos played it right. He did what, you know, what, what Novak did to uh, Daniel last year at the Paris Indoor at, with lots of serving and volleying, especially in the deuce court because Daniel's so far back. And Sitsipas was thoroughly committed to this. And he showed, he showed why he's one of the best attacking players when he does it. He was very effective, so up. Wins the first set, and then they go to a second set marathon tiebreak. Match points for Sitsipas. He can't put him away. And they go to the third set, and for the first time, Daniel breaks Sitsipas and ends up serving for the match at 5-4, and it, it, got, it didn't play a terribly good game. It wasn't a disaster, but he threw in a double fault there, and it was 
one double fall in that game, and, and it ends up going to the tie break again in the third, and he loses the first six points, and it, it's it's soon over. So frustrating. He got a little he got a little bit unsteady emotionally in that tie break, looking over at his corner and talking to them. But again, it was a match he could have won, and he said afterwards, "Oh, a disaster." He was frustrated by not serving it out, but again, knew that he had actually played overall pretty well, especially coming back into the match the way he had after sits of class for a set and a half was much better than he was. So good effort there. And then it ends off, David, with the match against Novak, which, by the way, here's another one comparable to Rafa playing Rude. That ha- there's no consequences other than 200 ranking points and some prize money because, because at this stage, Daniel now is, can't make the semis. And for Novak, it's difficult because he's already won two straight set matches. And is, does he want to wear himself out, which is what almost happened. They played for three hours and 11 minutes. In this case, Djokovic was on top of Medvedev, kind of the way Tsitsipas was. And he'd won the first set, Novak. Six, he won it on one break. And then they go to the second set. Excuse me. And he, he had a break point at one all. He had another one at four all. Daniel just would not surrender. And they go to the tie break. And Daniel wins the breaker 7-5. And now Novak is really physically... Under a lot of duress in the third, he's, he's no, shaking at one point, shaking at the changeovers. He was having trouble breathing. He didn't call the tournament doctor anything. He just tried to work his way through it. And luckily for him, the, the fast court, David, enabled Novak to keep holding serve until four all in the third. He had not been broken. And they have a marathon eight deuce game and seven game points for Novak. And he can't hold. Daniel breaks him. And now he serves for the match for the second contest in a row. And Novak played, a, I thought, a really good game to break him. One double again, though, from Daniel when he was down 15-30 was pretty critical. Served it wide in the ad court. Surprising. A kicker. So Novak, though, played a really solid game. Breaks back. They go to the tie break again. Third third time in a row for Daniel. And this time it's Djokovic, one of those lockdown tie breaks oh. where he will not miss. Daniel hit two winners to win the two points he got. Otherwise, it was all Novak, 7-2. So three hours and 11 minutes, that, of course, was really debilitating, really tough for Novak, who, as we just alluded to, was not feeling right out there and somehow worked his way through it. But that, to me, was actually the highlight of the week. It was worthy of a final. It was high-level stuff. Djokovic overcame his, his physical woes. And Medvedev, who had nothing to play for in a sense other than those ranking points, also went all out and yeah. tried his hardest. And they had another one of their absolute wars from the baseline. And there were times, David, in that match where the, the court didn't look as fast. Yes, they both served well. And Novak only lost his serve the one time in the third. And, and Daniel lost his serve twice, once in the first, once in the third, just those three breaks. But, but uh, then they also had some of their brutal 30-stroke rallies, 33-stroke oh. <laughs> rallies, as only they can. And they kill each other. And that was, I think, part of what put Novak into that state. But it, it was something beyond that. It was something a little mysterious, even to Novak, because you're playing indoors, best of three. This was not like some of the five-set matches he's played at the majors. So it was a little bit strange to see him like that. But he was so proud after he won that match, yeah. looking over at his team. And, he, and, and that, that just I thought that those two matches, that, that Nadal and his pride and professionalism in being rude, and the professionalism of both Djokovic and Medvedev in the way that they competed in, in a match that if, if nobody knew the consequences, they would have thought it was a semi or perhaps a yeah. final. Remarkable. Most, 
So well said. Now, you know, to, again, to summarize, Medvedev not only loses all three matches, seven, six, and the third, he served for the match in two of those three matches. Yeah, so, the last uh, two. The last two. Yep, the last that, two. That, of course, was upsetting to him. Uh, I think it would be maybe a little le- uh, more forgivable against Novak, considering Novak has, has the greatest return in the game. Stefanos does not. He's persistent. He tries. He's not known for his return. So that one might have stung even a bit more for Medvedev. But and you, and you mentioned it. You mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned it previously. I want to hit on it again because we've talked about it a, a ton. And I think it's starting to become psychological for other players. But Novak and tiebreakers. I, I'm just going to flat out ask you. In all the years of covering sports, have you seen someone as, as locked in as Novak when it comes to a tiebreaker? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I've seen some great tiebreaker players in both Pete Sampras and Roger Federer. The numbers are fantastic. But I don't think I've seen somebody that has that, that quite that mindset of like who, who, who kind of knows exactly what he wants to do from the first point to the last and is determined not to give one. Now, obviously, he's human, David. And yeah, he got in the lockdown mode here. There's sometimes when maybe he's a little less confident where he's lost high breaks, where he's just a little nervous and not as sure of himself. But when he's right the way he was this week, uh, I mean, he, he's just and he, again, he did lose the second set in the tiebreak to Daniel, but it was a very close one. And he didn't play a bad tiebreaker, you know, no. seven five and it went to five all. But his his persistence in the, and And by the way, David, it's not as if he goes out in these tiebreakers and pushes the ball. He's not no. missing, but he's, but he's hitting no. out freely when he has openings and he's still, yes. not, still not missing. No, he doesn't miss. We, we've talked about this a little bit. Like I always say aggressive. At, I know Paul Anacone used this term a lot. You're aggressive at big targets. And like you said, he does do that. But even when he has that opening, he will still be aggressive closer to that line. And he just doesn't miss. And I think what's more important is he, he because he doesn't miss, he makes his opponents eventually go for something more that they're not used to going yeah. for in the entire match. And he causes a mistake. And it's, it's incredible to watch. I, I I'm starting. I said, I think it may be psychological to other players. Cause I know when it's a big moment in a match when it's a deciding set tiebreaker, you know, he's going to be tough as nails. You know, he's well, going to be, you know tough what, David? Yeah, it, you do. And the thing is that it, it, these guys, Medvedev and all the rest, when they're facing Novak under those circumstances, you can, you can almost feel his willpower. It's yeah. almost tangible. And, and that's what happened in, in that match, to be sure. And it was a very gratifying ending for Djokovic after all he'd been through and not being able to put him away and straight to, to beat him in that third set breaker after Medvedev had already served for the match. Yeah, we're going to get to Novak in, in a bit. But um, before we circle back to Novak, I want to talk about Casper Ruud, not only in this tournament, but um, his year. And we'll get to it a little bit in our, in our year-end segment, too. But, you know, at the end of 2021, you, yourself, and, uh, and others knew. I mean, you were spot on with Carlos. But others knew that Carlos was going to have possibly a big year. They didn't know he was going to have the year that you predicted that was spot on. But people knew Carlos was probably going to have a good year. Casper Ruud makes the finals of the French Open, the finals of the U.S. Open, finals of the year-end. Did anyone see this type of year coming up at the end of 2021? Would anyone have said Casper is going to do have this type of year in 2022? I don't think so. I think there would have been some of us might have said, well, he, you know, he's, he could end the year somewhere between seven and 10 in the world. In fact, he's ending the year at three in the world. 
And by the way, let me tack on one more to the three great events you mentioned. He also was runner up to Carlos in Miami at a Masters yes. 1000. So what the, the thing that's encouraging for him, David, is he, we knew he knew how good he was on clay. And that's where he sort of made his name up until now. But to be in the Miami final, to be in this final, to be in the U.S. Open final, in addition right. to Roland Garros, now he's realizing you know what, under the right circumstances, I can I can play just as well on heart. And the weird thing is. He had lost four out of six matches after the Open. He went into a little slump, but he mentioned during the course of this week that he felt he had his legs back. He felt he was moving better again, and that was making a big difference. So he he had a terrific week in Italy, no doubt about it. And he seems to be very well liked, and all the other players like like him and everything. He seems to be really good for the game and, and just a good person overall. Yeah, he's very earnest, and there's no doubt about it. There's... Djokovic went out of his way to to pay him compliments after that final as as a person, not not so much as a player. He he, he lauded him as a player, too. But he just talked about how much how well Casper uh, and his team treat others around the tour, including himself and his team. And I think that's that all the other players would have said exactly the same thing. All right, let's talk about Novak, okay? Because this was a, a just a, a strange year. We all know how it started with Novak um, going to Australia, hoping to get in. He didn't get in. Um, you guys know the rest. He wins his sixth year-end finals. He finishes the year-end at number five, which is incredible because of the fact he didn't play Australia. He didn't play the U.S. Open. He didn't get any points from the U.S. summer hardcourt swing. He didn't or, play Miami. He didn't play Indian Wells. And the one slam he wins, he gets no points for the slam yeah, he that's, wins. that's the thing. And had he gotten points for Wimbledon, he would have been in strong contention for number one. That was very unfortunate for him. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, imagine that the one major you win, which just happens to be the most prestigious tournament in the game, he gets nothing. I, we've talked about it. It was, to me, a a clear mistake for the ATP and the WTA to try to retaliate against Wimbledon by taking points away from their own players who have earned them. And Djokovic was defending his title, David. He'd won it. It's a hard title to defend. He did it. And so I just think uh, that that was too bad. He should have had those points. And obviously all the others, Kyrgios lost uh, final round points, which could have made it elevated his ranking considerably too. But that, that needs to be sort of factored into the equation, it needs to be weighed when people look at this year that as remarkable as it was that he finished at five, he, he would have been a, a higher. He would have been right up there near the top in contention had he been able to have his Wimbledon points. I, I don't know how he could have had a, a better year than what he did with the limited events that he played. We were joking the other day. What was his worst loss of the year? A quarterfinal loss at Roland Garros against Rafa Nadal. There's no shit. It shouldn't have been a quarter, by the way. Every tennis fan knows it should not have been a quarterfinal match, but right, right. you lose to Rafa on clay. There's no shame in that. I mean, everybody has lost to Rafa at that place. Yeah, he had a few shakier moments before he got going because he started his year and he wasn't himself yet uh, after missing Australia and Dubai and, and Monte Carlo. And, but then once he got going on the clay and he, he ends up winning Rome and losing the close one to, to Alcaraz in Madrid and then the quarter of the French that you just mentioned. From that point on, here's what happened. He goes to Wimbledon, and he ends up winning four of his last five tournaments this year. Forget the one loss to Felix at the Labor Cup, but in terms of tournaments, his only loss was that, was that 
narrow defeat against Holger Rune in the okay. final of Paris. He won all his other events from Wimbledon on. And that's with not being able to play all summer. He's going to be fresh and motivated in 2023, Steve. He did not put a lot of wear and tear on his body this year because of the limited events that he played. Um, you look at what I'm talking today. You look at the shape of the body that Rafa has and the shape of the body that Novak has. It's a big advantage to Novak. Not only is he a few years younger than Rafa, but I'm just talking the physical shape of both of them at this point. Rafa's been battling injuries since Wimbledon. Even before that, in Indian Wells, Rafa was battling with, with a broken rib, I believe. So yeah, right. we right. hope they're both um, ready to roll at the beginning of 2023. Before, I, I want to hit on a couple Dave, other things, but anything, I want to give you the opportunity specific um, to this tournament. Any other player, anything specific to what we just witnessed this past week you want to address? No, no, just a quick few quick additional remarks about Novak. I mean, we, we, we talked about the Medvedev match. And, and, and I think his, his greatest supporters must have been worried seeing him in that condition, having to fight through these physical difficulties and not feeling like himself and shaking at the changeover. In, uh, his hand was shaking. And you see all that. And then he had to come back and play Taylor Fritz the next day. And you wonder, is he going to recover? That's what made it so honorable that he did what he did against Medvedev because he wasn't going to have a, a day off. Right. He was, his group played on Friday. The other group was on Thursday, had their day off. But anyway... Then he beats Fritz six and six. He wasn't at his best, but he came through in the clutch in the both tiebreakers. Once again, the tiebreaker, <laughs> the tiebreaker king. And, and, and again, now you're saying going into the final against Root, okay, we know he's a better player, but this is three straight days at the end. And he still, he actually looked worse in some ways physically in terms of his mannerisms and more shaking than, than he did the day before against Fritz. But he played a really good match. He served so well against Rude and never, he never uh, even let Rude get to deuce on his serve, David, yeah. in the match. Forget about facing break points. The closest Rude got was, was one game he had love 30 in the first set. That was it. So yeah. Djokovic had a terrific, and he just had a great serving week because Rude never broke him. Sitsipas never broke him. Rublev never broke him. Taylor managed to get two breaks against him and Ed Medvedev won. So three service, he lost his serve three times in five matches, lost one set all week. Pretty amazing. Pretty good, Steve. <laughs> um, two, um, two other items I want to uh, briefly address with you, if you don't mind. One, outside of this week, um, something that I think is important to note, people have been following this youngster for quite a bit now, um, Ben Shelton. He won his third challenger title in a row, 15 matches in a row. He's now in the top 100. He's going to get a main draw. Um, there's like a small, small chance he does, but whatever. For all intents and purposes, he's going to get a main draw entry into Australia. And his good friend, who we've also talked about, Chris Eubanks, will get the reciprocal wild card into the main draw in Australia, Australian Open. Um, both those guys have been playing well. Ben, we've talked about him. I mean. I don't care what level, three challenger titles in a row. You saw him do well. It was at the Western and Southern in Cincy, right? Yes, um, right, right. Are you looking top 50 for this kid in 2023? I mean, he's he's cruising. I, I don't know. There's yeah. probably going to be a little, you know, up and down in his first full year on tour. Are you looking top 50 at the end yeah. of the year, maybe? I think very possibly. And, and my main point, I guess, would be that you keep stressing the challengers, and that's what he's done to raise his rank. But I don't think we're – 
my hope is that he's going to play well earlier in the year and do well in Australia and get that ranking, push, start pushing it up fast. And that once he does, he, he won't have to play so many challengers, maybe, maybe very few challengers. Yes. And I don't think, I don't, I think he will start getting even some wild cards. Hopefully I don't think he's right. going to be playing many more challengers at all hopefully no, i mean he's no you cruising. want to see him you want to see him move on from the challengers and if that's the case then he's getting the opportunity to play the top players and test himself they don't know him that well yet i think it's right. to his advantage this is a chance for him to catch a lot of established players off guard so i'm excited about his prospects no that's great to hear um all right I want to ask you this at a high level because we're going to go into this in detail when we do our year end segment, but it's an interesting discussion. So um, before we end this segment, if you don't mind, maybe you can give a little appetizer of your thoughts, but I don't want, I don't want the full plate yet, Steve. I want you to save some. The better year who had it, Rafa. I mean, think about Rafa. He had two and three, almost two and like, five eighths of slams without him losing before he had to default in his semifinal right after he beat fritz you have carlos alcaraz we know what he did this year number one right and then you have novak where he didn't get to participate in the number of slams that those others done but we just recapped novak's year a couple minutes ago and it was absolutely remarkable in the limited limited amount of events that he was able to play uh, here's how I put it in a nutshell, David. Uh, the uh, player of the year is is Alcaraz because he emerged from so far back and he made good on all of our prognostications that he was headed to, toward the territory of the at the top that he was going to either he'd get close or he'd get to the top, and he did. And uh, all full marks to him because it was such a big splash. Rafa, the foremost achiever, and because he wins two majors, and at that level, we judge these players by that. That's what they want more than anything else. He wouldn't have traded that in at all. I mean, he could and never he didn't have... lose. He didn't lose physically a match in his third yeah. major. He defaulted before the semifinal. Yeah, that was that was saddening for him. But my main thing is that he grabbed those first two. And he won Australia unexpectedly, so he now has a career set of at least two majors at all the slams. Got got at least two of all four. And then he gets his 14th French. And so uh, I, I think he's the foremost achiever. But then I say that the man who played the best tennis in, to, in, in the year was undoubtedly Novak. Once he found his range and once he got back in that groove and the tennis he played from Wimbledon through the rest of the year, to me, surpassed everyone, everyone else by a, a considerable margin. Yeah, and I've said this to you before, and you know the type of competitor Rafa is, um, especially because he won the first two majors of the year. Remember, he had only won Australia, what, one time before right. the second go-around. Right. And I said, Steve, you know how much pain he must have been in knowing he's got the first two. He's now in the semis at Wimbledon, and he can't go. you got to think if there was any possibility at all, he's going to try like hell to see if he can get this third slam in a row of the year and then who knows what happens in, in the summer obviously you know the type of competitor Rafa is he would do anything possible to try to do it he just couldn't yeah I would only say this David absolutely it was a shame for him that it had to the quest for the slam had to end like that yes I have right. great sympathy for him but realistically 
It was going to be a very tough semi with Kyrgios. He would have had a, a, a chance. They'd split Wimbledon matches in the past. I'm have, not guaranteeing he wins it. I'm saying yeah. I would have loved to seen him have a go at it. Oh, no, I agree. So but what I'm saying is I might have given him a slight edge going in healthy against Kyrgios. But then I, 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 don't, I wouldn't have liked his chances against Novak on the grass. That's my feeling. But you're right in the sense that it's not the way you want to see him beaten on the court. Not for cheated. You feel cheated for yeah. not trying to try to achieve something that, as you know, has been so, so friggin' hard to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he felt cheated. He felt cheated. And I think there was some unfair criticism in some quarters of people thinking that maybe in the long five setter against Fritz in the quarters that knowing he knew he was in bad shape, that they thought he should have maybe walked up and, and retired. That's that was not fair. Rafa did his best. He hoped that in the day off. He'd recover. Then they did the tests and he realized he was just in no condition to play. Real mm. shame for him, but almost miraculous that he could go to Australia and win that. And, and, and given that he was out for the second half of last year, virtually the whole time, and then go to Roland Garros again, this time bothered a lot by his foot and having to get injections and get through that. So mm. I think he, he can weigh those two up against Wimbledon and say, I didn't do so bad. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, we're we're still got our year end segment. We're going to do some other stuff too. We're not we're not done for the year yet. So um, hang in there with us. It was a fun year. It was an interesting year. We're going to sum up a lot of it um, in a few weeks. We'll most likely record it. Steve, uh, th- this was fun. It was a good week. Um, it was a very entertaining week. I felt this year because there was so many things with certain players not being able to play Wimbledon. Um, you had the Novak situation. I felt like the end of the year, and you know my thoughts on the end of the year. We're not going to go there right now. I felt a lot of the players were not as maybe depleted as they normally would be um, just because of the strangeness of this year. Did you notice that? I completely agree. And then you just touched on something that's important regarding Djokovic is that there were many years since he last won this title in 2015, which is surprising looking back where that was the problem. He was a bit mentally and emotionally worn out. And so he made it to the finals in 16, but then wasn't back in the finals after that. He he lost the final in 18, I should say as well, to Zara. But there were those years, you felt like maybe he just was a bit emotionally and mentally raw. But this time he was fresh. And so were a lot of the other players. You're right. And that's why I think the tennis was so spectacular at times in turn is that everybody would, had a lot of a lot left in the tank, it seemed to me. Most, most of them did. Maybe not Rafa, but everybody else. I, I could not agree anymore with you. I think that's spot on. Steve, this was fun, uh, as always. Thanks again for your time, and we'll uh, we'll do this again real soon. Thanks again. Thank you, David.